Well, it's good to be with you this evening. Please open with your Bibles to Philippians 2. It's a privilege to be here tonight. I hope all of you had a wonderful Christmas with family and friends. For those of you who mentioned again, I am an associate pastor at Trinity Grace Church, and I'm I'm excited to be with you uh, tonight. So as we finish out the year of 2019, we're going to go to Philippians 2, and we're going to take in Paul's version of the Christmas story. In this passage, Paul gives us some of the most profound reflections upon the incarnation um, and the deep mystery in the New Testament. Uh, we can understand how Christ maintains, gains his humanity, but without giving up his deity as well. And this would be a great segue as Pastor Chris enters into the book of Hebrews uh, starting next week. Is that correct? I believe so. That's good. So I'm going to have you stand. I want to read Philippians 2. We're going to go verses 3 to 11 one more time for us this evening. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Let's pray. Lord, many of us are tired from a long and busy holiday season. It's my hope and prayer that tonight you would be with us. Help us as we reflect on what it means that you came in the form of a man so many years ago. Lord, I pray that you would be with me. Give me the words to speak, that I may be an instrument for you, to give you glory and praise. Be with us tonight, too. Help us to to rest in your grace and your peace as we reflect upon who, what you have done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. On one particular day, Butch McGregor stood trembling as the drill sergeant, Colin, screamed in his face. Butch hadn't done anything seriously wrong, but had somehow managed to get out of step with the rest of his platoon as they marched across the drill field. But the slightest infraction and the most insignificant mistake would result in 50 push-ups and 10 laps around the drill field. Such is the life of a Marine Corps boot camp where merciless drill instructors such as Sergeant Collins, would try to mold undisciplined young American men and women to obey orders without hesitancy or question and be willing to sacrifice their love, their life for others around them. Following basic training, Butch was assigned to a division in the motor pool where he would soon become recognized as a skillful and responsible driver. And he was rewarded with a promotion to corporal and he would drive for the major, General Collins, the same commanding officer of Butch Division, the same man that was intimidating, harsh, and cruel when he arrived at boot camp. 
As Butch drove for General Collins, he came to learn that the general was fair, but tough. He was a man filled with wisdom and passion and military skill. It was the leadership that inspired an entire division. And over time developed respect for the great general that was so harsh to him at boot camp. Eventually war broke out and Butch's division was shipped overseas. As the general driver, Butch never involved in actual combat. And though they were often traveling in dangerous country. On one particular day, Butch was transporting General Collins and they hit a landmine. As the jeep hit the landmine, General Collins was launched from the jeep. But Butch was trapped underneath. General Collins, majorly hurt from the fall, saw Butch there under the burning jeep. And he crawled over and pulled him out and rescued him. Heroic stories like these stand in contrast to a world that we live in today. We live in a world that is more concerned about my desires, my needs, my wants, my comforts above everyone else's. For those of you that have kids or were in a room with kids this past week, we know this full well, don't we? There was a lot of, I want to go first. I want to open first. Fighting over toys. Snacks, games. And we laugh at the kids and we were ashamed at the kids, but a lot of us are adults. We do the same thing, just in a more sophisticated way. In this passage that we just read, the Apostle Paul tells us a Christmas story in a way that King Jesus profoundly demonstrates humility and love for us and calls us to do the same for others. So the big idea, which I hope that you get from today's passage, is the coming of the humble king means destruction of the kingdom of self and humility within the kingdom of God. Now this particular moment, I'm going to do things a little bit different. Instead of going to verses 3 and 4, which the passage began, I'm going to start with verses 5 to 8, which is our main point, our first point. Now Paul's version of the Christmas story is an incredible destination story. The humble king left his place in heaven so that God's sons and daughters, you and I, may be guaranteed an internal destination with God in heaven. Our incredible destination would not have happened without the resulting grace that flows to us every day. If it wasn't for the sacrificial love of the Father and the humble willingness of Jesus Christ, the Son, we would be left in a world without hope. So let's look at verses 5 and 6 again. I want to read to you. Having this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of man, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In the first part of this destination story, the loving generosity of the Father sent his Son from the glories of his perfect, holy place to the broken and dysfunctional world that we live in. As Paul describes this Christ in this passage, 
The assertion is that Christ has always existed in the form of God, which is another way of affirming his full deity in equality with the Father. The text then assumes and provides a contrast between these two forms. The the majesty and the glory which he had from all eternity. As he shared in the divine glory as God the Son, who became taking himself to the form of a man. Jesus possessed all the majesty and deity, performed all of its functions. He had enjoyed all of its prerogatives. He was adored by the Father. He was worshipped by angels. He was invaluable, invulnerable to pain, frustration, and embarrassment. He existed in unclouded serenity. His supremacy was total. His satisfaction was complete. He was blessed. He was perfect. Such a condition was not something secured by effort. It was the way things were and has always been from the beginning of time. And there was no reason that it should change. But change, it did. And the change became because Christ did not insist upon his own rights. So when the Father sent the Son, Christ didn't resist the call. He didn't fight for what was rightfully his. He didn't negotiate the terms. He didn't counter with demands. And I love how Paul puts it in this passage in verse 6. He did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Christ wasn't thinking about the way he could maintain his glory and power. That he no longer had equality with God. meant because he was equal to God. He started this humble descent, this destination to earth. And I think we should be praising God for that very moment. Because without that, you and I would be without hope. If Jesus had clung to his equality with God and insisted that we live the perfect life to earn the salvation, we would have no hope in this life. There's nothing we could do to earn eternal life. We are not perfect. We can't be perfect. None of us can be perfect. There were 613 laws in the Old Testament and none of them could be obtained on our own effort. Justification. I I love what justification is. It says, uh, Jerry Bridges says at one point, um, for many of us, it's just as if I had never sinned. Have you heard that before with justification? But I love how he also puts it. It's just as if I always obeyed. That's what happens in justification. We on our own couldn't have done it. We needed Christ. The willingness of Christ, who is God Almighty, left the splendors of glory to take on the normal limits and the frailty of the human body to endure the realities of what it means to live in a terribly broken world in the purest definition of humility and love. Now, the descent of the humble king continues in verse 7, as I mentioned before. It says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And as we celebrated last week, Jesus was born to a virgin in a small little town in Bethlehem. He was vulnerable, he was innocent, and yet a king. Too often when we think of the Christmas story, we think of this peaceful Beautiful picture of Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph. 
It was, it was clean. It was wonderful. It was celebrated, right? I remember the first time that I went to Israel, um, my leader was taking a group of 40 and we were wandering around in, in the Judean wilderness and we came to a cave. And I'll never forget when we came into the cave, animals had been there the night before. And so we were trying to get 40 people in there and I was trying to step on things that wouldn't make me smell for the rest of the day. I was trying to find a place to sit that was not occupied by an animal the night before. It smelled. It was gross. It was dirty. It was humiliating. But that's where Christ our Savior was born. In a cave or a stable filled with animals that had been there the night before. It wasn't a clean hospital with nurses and nice beds and cable TV and doctors who had done this many a times. That was not the case. When we talk about humility, when we talk about our king and our savior, that's what he came into the world for. His time and his beginning time on earth was filled with humility from moment, from the first moment that he came into the world. The nature of the incarnation does not involve the subtraction or the reduction of God's son's deity, but the addition of human nature. And he did this in a way that was filled with more humility than any of us could ever understand. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Jesus was real flesh. He walked like us. He talked like us. He was, but he wasn't like us in our sinfulness. He was born in our likeness. He was in the form of man, but he was not sinful. I believe he stubbed his toe, he bit his tongue, and he even got crazy sandal tan lines like we do. Paul's version of the Christmas story involves humility, vulnerability, and servanthood. The humble king, as he talked about, it wasn't just that he came in our likeness. His descent doesn't end when he comes to earth and he takes the form of a man. It goes on to say in verse 7 or 8, and as the, he came with a gruesome, gruesome death and obedience to his father. He was obedient to the point of death. And as the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it, it was this painful, shameful death of the cross. He didn't simply die of old age or from cancer, but he died the most gruesome death and experience, the shame and humiliation that comes from being killed on the cross. Christ repeatedly humbled himself in a way that we can't fathom. He didn't do this reluctantly. In fact, the very active, he was very active in his humility. No one was taking his life for him. He was laying his life down for us. There's a big difference there. He didn't let them do it. He was active in his death on the cross. Jesus, who rules everything that ever was and ever will be, humbly and willingly placed himself under human rule. The one who controls all things exposed himself to the forces of nature and the government of the people that he established. He humbly came to live a life without political power or a palace to reign in. In his last days, human rulers mocked him, spit on him, beat him, and ultimately killed him. 
Nothing in the way that he lived your life would make you think that he was a king. He didn't establish new rules or political power. Interestingly, he didn't even have a house to call his own when he died. It was the humility of Christ coming to earth and dying on the cross that solidified him as the ultimate king. The one who reigns over every kingdom. And he did this so that we can have eternal life. At the moment that the jeep hit the landmine, if you go back with me in the story, the general was tossed into the air and injured badly. And it was in that moment he had a choice to make. Does he stay or does he go? I'm sure that most people being a general to go get a a lowly uh, private would say they would understand. But he didn't hold his rank and superiority over in that moment. Instead, he willingly rescued, went and rescued the man from death to give him life. Paul's version of the Christmas story is centered on Christ coming to earth and humbly serving the world through his ability to live life that we couldn't, dying the death that we deserve. So why? Why this destination? Why would the king of kings humble himself in this way? Right? We just heard about his entire life, the Christmas story. Why? Why does he do it? Jesus didn't come with royal pomp and circumstance, demanding to be served. He didn't do it because of something that he saw in us, but because of something holy inside of him. His plan was not political power or palace to live in, but he came because of a mission. The one reason that he came was to rescue us from our sin and brokenness. As I process things this week, I'm confronted with the sad reality that we all put ourselves at the center of the universe. Too often we put ourselves in what we want, what we desire. We lack humility. We want to write our own rules. We want to do without do what we want without negative consequences. We get envious when somebody else gets the praise in which we feel we deserve. We may not even realize, but we live under self-centered thinking. It leaves a trail of selfish demands, broken relationships, and distance from God. That's who we are. In the center of us, that's who we are. This past week, we were reflecting on last year's Christmas And nothing of this reflects your self-centeredness like telling a story. We had, on Christmas Eve, my daughter had gotten the flu. And with four kids, it was the gift that keeps on giving. And so everybody got it. And it passed from my oldest daughter to my next daughter to my next daughter and eventually to my son. And at one point, my, my poor son, who was four years old at the time... I saw and I was helping him at 1 o'clock, 2.30, 3.30, 4 o'clock, and 4.30 in the morning. I love my son, but I had a meeting at 6 o'clock, and to see the clock at 4.30, I was not pleased. I love him, and he was sick. There was nothing he could do. But I'm telling you, I didn't want to humbly serve him. I'm telling you, I'm selfish. And in that moment, I was upset. I wanted rest. 
Imagine if Christ would have done that for us. But he didn't. We, however, Jesus humbly and willing emptied himself and came to earth, lived in poverty instead of grandeur, so that through his life and death, he could rescue self-centered, broken, unjust people like ourselves to transform us into men and women who can live in eternity with him. As verse 2 points out, the only reason that he would do such a thing is that he humbled himself. Jesus is our only hope. His willingness to leave glory, unleash glory on us, guaranteed that we would live with him in glory forever. All of this would happen according to the plan that he had before the beginning of the world. It's through this wonderful story that he calls us and opens our eyes to the glory and grace. And it should convict us and challenge us of our sin and our arrogance and our demand for self-centeredness. We should be, and our hope, we are transformed by his grace. As, as Butch laid in the hospital, he often wondered the question, why would a general come and save a Marine division? Why would he risk his life? That was the very question that he was asking. He could really understand a Marine risking himself for a, ba- a buddy on the battlefield, but, but a general for a sergeant? He never understood. How could that be? When's the last time you reflected upon the humility that Christ endured for you so that you could have eternal life? Do we understand the humility that he endured for you? It was dirty. It was messy. It was not clean. And it was humiliating. Every moment of his life was filled with humility from the moment he was born to the moment he died. So the question is to you, in light of what Christ has done for us, how are we to live? How do our families develop a liturgy of incarnational living? This passage speaks very clearly as how we are to respond to the humble king. So read with me, go back to verses 3 and 4. And so here's my challenge to you and how we're called to respond. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit, as the NIV likes to say, from selfish or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look only not, not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. None of us, if we're all honest, none of us likes verse 3. And if we're really honest, none of us like verse 4 because it re-emphasizes verse 3. A call for humility. None of us wants to walk in humility. The fear is that we're going to get walked over. We're going to be humiliated. We're going to be taken advantage of. Some of the greatest problems in our nation, in our communities, in our churches, in our families, in our marriages arise because of unwillingness to humble ourselves before the other people. We argue and fight over silly things where we think we're right. We're only trying to get what we want. How much of the problems in the world could be solved if we just walk with a little bit of humility? 
Three years ago, there was a lady traveling first class on Korean Air out of JFK. She not only worked for Korean Air, but she was the daughter of the chairman of Korean Air. As the plane was getting to ready to leave JFK, the lady became indignant and she lost her temper. You see, the first class flight attendant had served her nuts without asking her if she wanted a package for nuts. And she opened them and put them on her plate for her. As she was going nuts over this seemingly simple gesture by the flight attendant, she called the main flight attendant over and demanded demanded that the flight attendant who was serving her nuts, who had put it on her plate, get down on his knees and apologize. She stopped the flight from leaving JFK and demanded that the flight turn around and this man be dismissed over a bag of nuts. Unbelievable. That is arrogance at its finest. Now we may not have that much arrogance. Maybe you're not flying first class and demanding that you don't get peanuts. But in many ways we are that sinful deep down inside. When we stop and think and reflect upon our own lives, we realize that we are selfish human beings that care about the kingdom of self. If we have the same mindset of Christ in which we are in verse 5, then for us to example, we are to example, exemplify humility towards others and should entail three components. It should cost us. It should be intentional. And it should be done in response to what Christ has done for us, knowing that it wasn't our work that saves us or makes us special to others, but it was Christ's work in us. Christ doesn't call us to do something that he hasn't been willing to do for himself. We can look to Christ as our ultimate example. The first and the biggest step in this process of humbling ourselves is realizing that you are proud. And if you think that you're not conceited or proud, then the problem within you is much greater than you think it is. My challenge for you is to start today. When you have holiday games, when you're spending time, even the next couple days as we get ready for New Year's, what does it mean for to let others go first? What does it mean for you to think of the interests of others? What does it mean to serve your wife? How about kids? How about serving your parents? How about helping them and serving them? What does it look like for you to pick up your stuff after, after a long day instead of mom and dad having to pick it up for you? Maybe you leave your shoes by the door so everybody trips over them. That happens in my house all the time. What are ways that you can serve others around you? I want to challenge you with that this year. Maybe today, 2019 is a year that I'm going to serve. I want to emphasize serving others and walking in humility. I want to do this in response to what Christ has done for me. I want to do it for others. Knowing that the power of the gospel is what moves you and motivates you to respond in that way. Not only should we walk in humility, but look at the end of the passage. 
Just as the angels sang in the fields of Bethlehem so many years ago, may your life sing of the glory of God. Let me read to you verses 11 and 9 through 11 one more time. Therefore God was highly exalted, exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's rejoice and exalt him and give him glory. It's the celebration chant, the celebration chant of those who've been redeemed. When we receive the ultimate gift of Jesus Christ, we're called to live differently. We're called to worship Him. And in this wonderful time of the year, we celebrate and honor Christ. But it's my prayer that every day we should exalt Him. Not just this time of the year, not just in Advent, but every day of our lives should be given to the glory of God. To praise Him for His humility on our behalf. That He came and died because there's no way we could have done it on our own. Paul's version of the Christmas story calls us to live lives with humility towards others. He left the glories of heaven to come to earth to guarantee for us a place in heaven that only could come from a humble king. Let's give glory to that God. As time passed in the hospital, Butch began to heal. And his admiration and his love and gratitude for the general grew daily. For he longed for the day when he could once again be the general's driver. He determined that he would be the best driver any Marine general had ever had. He would never be able to comprehend the depth of what it means that the king of the earth, and we should never be able to comprehend the depth of what it, depth of what it means that the king of the universe humbly gave himself for us. But when we have experienced that type of love, you should be filled with joy and the chance to humbly serve in God's kingdom. May 2019 be put to bed and 2020 be an opportunity that you see to serve the King and to give Him glory. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You. We thank You for the way that You came and died on the cross for us and we take that for granted. Lord, we confess we are sinful that we are self-centered and we just we want glory. Lord, I pray that you would rid ourselves of the pride and self-centeredness that we have in ourselves and that you would fill us with humility. Help us to recognize the death that you died for us. We take this for granted so often. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts that we would walk in humility towards others, that we would love others more than we love ourselves because of what you have done for us. Lord, we give you praise and glory for all that you've done for us. In the name of Christ, amen.